Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate, and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Welcome, I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today the lovely Rena Van Oust. Hi Amanda, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well, thank you very much. Uh, we are rapidly drawing towards the end of the year, I cannot believe it. I mean, I think this year's gone really, everyone I speak to Amanda says this year has gone really fast. Do you know what? We say that every year. Well, we we say, I know that last year went fast, but this year, this year has gone even faster. I think, honestly, I catch myself saying that every year. It is just, <laughs> it is life. The world of strata, it keeps us busy, time flies, but it's fun. Yeah, it's all fun. Keeps you on your toes. It's funny, I actually went to a, a lunch yesterday for a company that raises capital for you know, large developments and, and large projects. Ooh. and. Um, and when people ask you, like, what you're doing, you say it's strata, everyone just sort of looks at you like, oh, my God, like, you must, you know, hate your job. And I go, no, mm. actually, I quite like it. I, um, yeah. I quite enjoy the challenge. I go, oh, those sort of very tough people and sometimes you have the difficult clients. And, and they sort of understood that when it was people's homes, they were far more emotional about issues rather than at work. But I said to them, you just have to basically deal with people as the situation arises and just try and sort of put yourself in their shoes. And, you know, and, and I mean, the other day I had someone screaming at me about an intercom, but I knew he was mentally ill and, oh. you know, the poor man, unfortunately, yeah. like he had the food delivery and he said, I'm sick and I'm hungry. And oh, no. But, I mean, I just knew from other conversations I've had with him that, you know, at times he can be quite fine to deal with and, you know, and this time he wasn't. But, you know, I just mm-hmm. didn't get upset about it. So, you know. He's obviously yeah, having yeah. a bad day and you know, roll with the, the punches, babe. Yeah, not the end of the world. There's worse things that can happen apart from that in terms of, you know, like catastrophes for me as a strata manager. Yeah. Having yeah. an intercom not working is not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it, it goes to show there's a lot of work for our sector to do when it comes to improving the perception, I suppose, of strata mm. management and what it is you guys do and how valuable that work is uh, mm. and how fulfilling it is. It's challenging, but it's also fulfilling. And that's a PR exercise, isn't it? That's for our advocates in the sector to get out mm. and say, uh, this is a good place to be. It's a fun place to be. It's challenging. It's interesting. And we don't have people feeling sorry for us or particularly for you as strata managers when we go to conferences. (laughs) Exactly right. Well, speaking of uh, challenges, what's been your challenge for this week, Rena? Well, I took carriage of a building earlier this year, Amanda, and it actually had a fire order imposed on it in 2013. And they appointed, I think, a consultant and some reports had been done and they had issued some tenders, I think maybe two or three years after that. And then nothing sort of happened. I'm not sure if it was – I mean, the committee advised me, some of the older members, because there's now obviously a new committee after all this time, that, you know, basically the strata manager wasn't really pushing it and they weren't really aware of where things were up to. Mm. And so 
I got the files and most of the information wasn't even in there. So I was lucky to have a very astute treasurer and she provided me with a whole heap of information and reports that had been obtained by them. And so we started following up the consultant and the consultant said, oh, yeah, well, this is where we're up to. You know, we, we had issued some tenders and got some quotes in. We didn't receive any instructions and therefore, you know, nothing has progressed. And mm. we said, well, can you please reissue those tenders, see if any of the quotes are valid and if not, they can be updated by the respective contractors that had made submissions at that time and that was back in sort of July, August, September, following up, following up and then last week I received a letter from council to say that it was like a show cause letter to Mm. say that we needed to show compliance with the order and if not within seven days they were going to refer the matter to the Land and Environment Court. Mm. So I quickly, you know, got on to the consultant and I said, here's a letter. I know that you've been trying to get quotes and get them updated, but can you, and you'd promised us a report, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Can you please expedite that now and write to council because we need to explain where things are at. And so I didn't get a response. I rang the office. I said I was sick. The next day I rang again. Another colleague said he'd look at it. Nothing happened. So it's now a week later exactly. I've been ringing and emailing and nothing has happened. And it's a bit hard now to engage someone new and start all over again, although that's, that is to be seriously considered by the committee in view of this lack yeah. of response. But I'm not really sure, Amanda, what will happen now if if we, you know, get referred to the Land and Environment Court whether or not we would have any action mm. against the consultant. I mean, I don't, we don't want to start any proceedings or anything, but I'm just saying, like, you know, it's, it's also the safety of the building. It's not just a Absolutely. matter of Absolutely. I mean, with tw- you said order. 2013 this yeah. fire order came about. Yeah. And yeah. have there been, in terms of the preliminary reports that have been done, is it extensive work that needs to be? Oh, it's major. So what I'm getting at is if you were to bring a new consultant on now, it would probably take them months to yes. get up to speed. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. This is why we, we've been reluctant to do that, Amanda, and just to try and see, let's try and get maybe this part of the work done with this particular consultant, you know, get those tentative quotations updated and see where we can go from there. But even that, you know, and as a Amanda ringing, like So they just don't ringing. respond? No. Well, it's I mean, crazy. when I spoke to him, oh, yeah, that's, he said to me, oh, the person's away that at council, I know that for a fact. Till next week, I said that, that's that fine. I know, <laughs> but that you know, Wednesday has come and gone, and mm, I think maybe your your energies are best focused on getting that consultant into gear, bringing someone new on at this stage. As you said, is just not that's not going to be possible. Councils asking you to show cause, you don't really mm. have um, too much of an excuse there. Have no. they been extending the order all this time? Because generally, orders. Yeah, that's a really good question, Amanda. I mean, I don't think that council has really. They sent a letter earlier in. June or July asking for program. And that's when we got on to them and said, what's happening? Where is it up to? And we've been chasing it up since then. So we didn't even get an opportunity to, to tell them we were up to. And I suppose mm. they got fed up. But I, I found that councils, not all councils, but I mean, City of Sydney is very astute in its follow-up, but mm. there's no way that an order issued four years ago would still be outstanding. Mm. Um, but other councils in the, you know, North Shore or the northern area or even um, like eastern suburbs and some of the other councils, they don't really follow it up as diligently. I'm not sure. Yeah, and maybe that's why your consultants are relaxed about it because they do it all the time and think, oh, yeah, nothing's going to happen. Nothing happens till it happens. Yeah, but, and I mean, our concern is if there's a fire exactly, and yep. people are injured or, or people's lives are lost, I mean, you know, mm. then, what, then what's going to happen? So, yeah. 
Well, I'd be uh, interested to hear how you work your way through that one, and if you can get this consultant. My my advice would be just be you've got to be the annoying the annoying client who's constantly ringing, and uh, I'm not going to stop ringing until you get this work yeah. done. I mean, I've been emailing one day, ringing the next day, mm. ringing, yeah, and perhaps including both. in your emails that you know if council does take these next steps and the owners' corporation is put to cost, then they will be looking to the consultant because they've yeah. been let down and I wonder what the terms of the engagement of that consultant were obviously that's um, before your time and what promises they've made that they're now breaking as yeah. to what they could do and when they could do it but it's actually it's good to talk about this and, and it's a good uh, tip I suppose for our listeners that when you are engaging in this process with these kinds of consultants having them agree with and adhere to time frames is really important because time is of the essence when we're talking about safety and also when we're talking about council orders. And also, I mean, I don't mind if you just said I'm flat out or I'm getting to it or whatever, but it's just there's just been no Silence. communication. Yeah. Mm, unhelpful. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope you can uh, work your way through that one and let us know how you go. Yeah, definitely, man. I'll keep you posted. Now, my challenge for this week, I have had a listener ask me this question. Is the developer obliged or required to set aside actual funds in the Capital Works Fund, and we're talking about for a new building, during the initial period, so before the first AGM, and when the developer still owns the majority of the lots? Should the developer be budgeting for and putting money into the Capital Works Fund the same way that owners would be paying levies after the first AGM and depositing money to a Capital Works Fund. So under Section 14 of the Strata Schemes Management Act 2015 in New South Wales, the first AGM must be held within two months after the initial period. And anybody who's not familiar with that term initial period, it starts on the day that the owner's corporation is constituted, which is on the registration of the strata plan. And it ends on the day when there are owners of lots in the scheme, the sum of whose unit entitlements is at least one third of the aggregate. So once the developer has sold off at least one third uh, of the unit entitlement, then the initial period ends. So the first AGM is held on the expiry of the initial period, or I think I've just said within two months of the expiry of the initial period. And the agenda for the first AGM is stipulated in Section 15 of the Act. And the agenda for the AGM must include a motion to decide the amount of contributions required to be made to the Administrative Fund or the Capital Works Fund. So my understanding then, Rena, is that there is no requirement for the developer to be contributing to a capital works fund, but indeed the developer should be paying for maintenance items and and covering costs that are coming up within the initial period and paying for those directly. Is that a a fair summary? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Excellent. Well, I hope that answers our listener question. How about your win for this week, Rena? Um, well, my win actually this week was I had an AGM for a scheme that hasn't been raising adequate levies. Um, they've actually been raising sort of special levies here and there 
during the last, say, two or three years um, to the point that, you know, they'd pretty much run out of money. So I sat down with, with the chairperson and treasurer and we basically, you know, went through a whole spreadsheet of expenses that we had to cover in the next 12 months. And so that resulted in an 85% increase in their levies, um, oh. which you can imagine was a bit of a shock. You know, yeah, exactly. And so you know, the chairperson wrote a letter that went out with the agenda just to, to tell owners, you know, we really need you to come to the meeting. This is what's being proposed. Um, and, of course, we didn't get very many people. We just barely got a quorum. And then, you know, some of the owners at that meeting, you know, were, were quite against raising any funds. One particular owner actually said, well, you know, I've just bought in and mm. um, why should I have to pay, you know, like for yeah. things that I haven't. I said, well, basically – you know, the previous managing agent hadn't even obtained a capital fund works forecast or sinking fund at the time. Mm. And so there was no real record of what should have been raised. But nevertheless, you know, this is why people do strata searches when you buy into a scheme yeah. because you'll see that there's no capital fund. You see what's been raised. And unfortunately, you know, we did by majority get the um, levies approved. But, mm. you know, it was a really hard task. And and sort of to add insult to injury, because the first levy had already been issued in the new financial year, the 80% yeah. increase was born in, in the remaining three quarters. So it's actually, yeah. for those that received that levy notice, it was quite a shock, I think, for some people because it was even more than 80% for those remaining three quarters. Yeah. But a lot of people actually that had lived there for a long time understood that, yes. you know, there's so many areas that we need to address, you know, water penetration, you know, and without having enough money in the funds that we needed to raise that money. And yeah. one thing that I raised, I went to a Westpac property market seminar and they were saying that since 2009, I think it was a, uh, one of the, not RP data, but I think it's CoreLogic or the company that's replaced RP data that gives you sort of a lot yep. of statistics about property prices. So between 2009 to date, property prices have doubled pretty much in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, you know, I said, you know, out of all of you, whose salary has stayed the same since 2009? Yet, you know, you're trying to maintain levies, you know, since 2009 at the same rate when building costs are going up by at least 10% per annum in that in that period. Yep. The value of your asset has doubled. Mm. Your own personal income hasn't stayed stagnant. Mm. Um, hopefully not. not. <laughs> uh, hopefully not. But, I mean, workers and, until recent times have had um, yes. significant increases. And, you know, the wage growth has been one of the issues that's been talked about now that's sort of stagnated in manner. But, mm. you know, so people, I don't know, people have this notion in their mind that, Levy should stay the same, or and I'm thinking, but well, how? Like mm. levy staying the same actually means you're going backwards because even if yep. you account for inflation, um, which if you look at inflation, it's a basket of goods and services, and then an average is worked out. But building costs and repair costs are actually at a much higher level than mm. than CPI. So even if you're increasing levies by CPI, you're not really actually keeping up with inflation. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I was actually going to ask you, Rena, how did you get that across the line? And thank you so much for sharing all of that guidance, which um, it sounds like that's what you were saying to them in the meeting and that's what was able to sell yeah, well, the I motion, mean, if you like. I think it was really good that I have a great chairperson that I work with and her and I had met extensively um, before the meeting. We'd gone through everything. So we understood, you know, like all the expenses, mm. what was coming up. And so between her and I, like she was using different ways to explain it. I was 
was trying to use it from trying to give them my experience as a strata manager and having other buildings that I've managed to try and give them that comparison to say that <laughs> this is quite a unique situation, you know, to find yourself in that. And I said I'd never managed a building that had no money before, to be honest. So that's yeah. quite a, um, a new experience for me. But when you're quoting for a building, I mean, I don't really normally ask them how much do you have in your funds. Oh, isn't that interesting? Maybe I should now ask them Yeah, that. can you <laughs> afford me? <laughs> yeah. So it's more about, you know, understanding that, you know, you need to have a reserve. We need to be able to pay for unexpected repairs and maintenance that may come up from time to time. Yep. And, you know, the government has, through legislation, said that you need to obtain a capital fund forecast. You know, and obviously it doesn't force people to adhere to that, but at least it's a guideline of what levies should be raised. Mm. And then, you know, obviously that varies from year to year depending on what priorities there are. Um, in the building and, and what projects the committee want to look at. And, and you know, I think water penetration is one of the worst issues in, you know, older yeah, buildings. You know, the waterproofing has failed in balconies and it's causing, you know, concrete cancer. So it's, mm. it's quite a serious thing that, you know, if left untreated for longer periods of time, it's just going to cost them more to fix. So, yeah. you know, we tried to get that message across. And, yeah, between her and I, I mean, I was just so exhausted that night when I got home. It was, mm. you know, it was, it was a real, like, campaign effort I felt on my part to try and get the message across. Yeah, I can imagine. But good on you for uh, getting it there. And you've yeah. shared some really uh, good insights there with uh, our listeners, both committee members and strata managers who might find themselves in a similar position having to sell a large increase in levies to owners and, and get it yeah. over the line. And um, they've got a few more tools in their toolkit now, which is great. Yeah, thank you, madam. Okay, well, my win I want to share this week, uh, well, I should say, first of all, it's not actually my win, it's a couple of other lawyers' uh, wins, but we've had some good cases that have come out of the Tribunal and also the Court of Appeal here in New South Wales, and both cases, interestingly, relate to the right to claim damages from an owner's corporation for uh, where a lot owner has suffered some loss because of an owner's corporation's failure to repair or maintain the common property. and. Mm-hmm. Two cases, yeah. The two cases I'm talking about are Rosenthal, which was the tribunal case uh, decision that came about in August this year, and McElwain, which was the court of appeal case from September. So I'll put some links in the show notes to those cases so you can have a read of them. I've actually summarised them on my Lawyers Chambers website, so I'll give you those summaries. But basically in the Rosenthal case, the tribunal has confirmed that under the new Act here in New South Wales, you can approach the tribunal for an order for damages. And when we say damages as lawyers, we mean money. The tribunal can now give you some money if the owner's corporation has failed to repair and maintain the common property and you, a lot owner, has suffered some loss because of that. So, for example, there has been water penetration due to waterproofing failures or roof failures and you've got water coming into your apartment and because of that your wardrobes and your carpet and your other fixtures and fittings have been damaged. You haven't been able to perhaps live in your unit or rent it out because it hasn't been fit for habitation. You've suffered some loss there and you've had to pay 
some money, perhaps renting another place, perhaps uh, claiming on your own insurance, replacing those items, you can go to the tribunal under the new act and ask for the tribunal to make an order that there be some money paid to you. Now, uh, of course, not as simple as that. You do have to prove that the owner's corporation has failed to meet its duty. You have to prove that that failure caused your loss and you have to prove the amount of your loss so that you can get what you've asked for. But in the Rosenthal case, that lot owner was awarded about $9,000, I think, and also the costs of those proceedings. So that was the first case that we have seen come out of the tribunal confirming that new right, which didn't exist under the old law. And that takes me to the McElwain case, which is the Court of Appeal case. This is actually relevant to the old law, where a lot owner attempted to claim against their owner's corporation in nuisance. So alleging that the failure to repair and maintain the common property uh, actually resulted in a nuisance to this lot owner because they couldn't use their property in the way that they should have been able to. And uh, under the common law, so not under the Strata Schemes Management Act, but under the common law, you can claim damages if there has been a nuisance and somebody has failed to meet their common law duty So the issue in McElwain was whether uh, an owner could actually go outside of the Strata Schemes Management Act and make that claim under the common law because at that time, under the old Act, there was no otherwise no way to claim damages. And we had some old cases here in New South Wales that said, no, the Strata Schemes Management Act uh, covers the field. You can't then apply to a court under the common law for damages. If the Strata Schemes Management Act says no damages, then there are no damages. And the Court of Appeal has uh, essentially overturned that and said, no, you can claim in nuisance and you can seek damages in a court and you don't necessarily have to go down the tribunal avenue. Of course, under the new Act now, we have that new provision that says the tribunal can can award damages. But the interesting thing here is, Rena, that under the new Act, if you're going to the tribunal, you can only do that within two years of the date of your loss. So there's a very tight time period. If you are going to claim in negligence or nuisance, which McElway now seems to say you can, you have a six-year period because that is the common law limitation period on those claims. So I think what we're going to see is uh, people who are within time maybe take the tribunal route and people who are outside of that two-year period may take the court route. So, man, I wanted to ask you a question because I actually have a, a situation at the moment that is sort of based on the case that you've just mentioned. Um, in this particular building, there was a leak that caused damage to lot owners' fixtures in their apartment. But the problem has been that the owners' corporation has been trying now for the last, I don't know, six months or nine months to actually try and find the leak. So, they haven't mm-hmm. been negligent, mm. but, it, you know, they were looking at so many different areas. It's a large building and they ended up finding it was coming you know, from the rooftop, but yes. um, they, they were looking at windows and risers and all these different areas. So finally, they were able to find the source of it. So in those cases, mm. would the owners corporation's liability be reduced because it actually didn't fail to maintain? It was it was its inability to find where because sometimes leaks men are very hard to find. Yeah, sure. I'm um, in buildings. So what would happen, do you think, in those ca- Yeah, it's a cases? really good question. Our case law in New South Wales has established that the duty to repair and maintain is a strict duty and mm-hmm. saying things like, oh, we didn't have enough money or we were getting around to it are not going to fly and you're still going to be found to be in breach of your duty if you are not repairing and maintaining. Now, your example is a little bit tricky because it sounds like, you know, the leak was there, the common property was failing, but it's 
sounds like the owners' corporation was doing everything in its yeah. power to try and find that leak. And the question exactly. would be, what was it exactly the owners' corporation was doing? Were they engaging experts? Were those they experts? They were. They were yeah. engaging, you know, but you know, you engage, first of all, you get a plumber in, they tell you this, then yeah. it's not that, then you engage a waterproofing person. So, you know, I mean, I've been involved in many schemes where, you know, sometimes just trying to find, mm. you know, and you have to put dyes here and, you know, and it's not from there. And sometimes leaks, you know, they're slowly occurring over time. Mm. And then say, you know, you might have damage cupboards, you might have damaged floorboards, and then, you know, but you're still trying to find where this leak's coming from. Mm. The, see, the problem is that the leak is there in the first place and the leak has caused the damage. Yes. And what you have to prove is, A, that the owner's corporation has a duty, and, and you do that by pointing to the legislation, they do have a duty, B, that they have breached that duty. So they've breached that duty through their failure to repair and maintain the existence of the leak. If it's deterioration over time, then it's going to be pretty hard to say that they're not in breach of their duty. And I know that sounds unfair and it is strict, mm. but that's what our case law has said. Where you have room for movement, I guess, and room for debate is where the lot owner has done or not done something that has contributed to their loss. So perhaps they didn't tell the owner's corporation, perhaps they didn't Mm. allow access to their lot so the owner's corporation could inspect and carry out works. Then that's where you come into the the third part of this equation, which is the causation. What is it that has caused the loss for the lot owner? Is it the owner's corporation's failure to repair and maintain or was the owner's corporation diligent in its duty and it was was the lot owner's failure to uh, allow them into the lot, to report it in a timely way, um, yeah. to facilitate inspections and things like that. So, yes, there, there can be mitigating factors there on both sides that may reduce the owner's corporation's liability, but these things are so entrenched in the, the facts mm. in exactly yeah, what exactly. it is that's happened. But the thing to sheet home to owner's corporations, and I, and I do it quite regularly, is to say you have this duty to repair and maintain. It is a strict duty. You must comply with it and do it as quickly as you can. And as you say, Rena, if you're in a situation where it's not a quick fix, then make sure that the written record reflects that you are doing everything in your power to resolve this issue promptly for the lot owner to yeah. reduce their loss, if so not I eliminate suppose, it. Yeah, in this case, Amanda, we just have to go through the records and see what communications there were between the lot owner and the owner's corporation and ascertain mm. like a timeline type of arrangement yep. to see how long has it taken and what steps have been taken by both parties. Yeah, that's what I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wow, I feel like that was a jam-packed episode. Yeah, it's quite a lot there today, actually. <laughs> exactly. Well, don't forget, you can grab the transcript of these episodes. Uh, head over to yourstrataproperty.com.au forward slash 088, this being episode 88 and you can grab a transcript, share it with your fellow owners, committee members, strata manager, and they can get all the value that you are getting too. And thanks for joining us. Anything else to add, Rena? No, all good. Thank you, Amanda. Excellent. I shall catch you next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?